Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Psalms, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a psalm about the Bible, the Word of God. The words are used such as His precepts, His Word, and um, His commandments, and different things like that. Out of all the verses in Psalm 119, I think there's only three or four that do not mention in some way the Scriptures. So every, almost every verse is about the Word of God, or mentions the Word of God, out of 176 verses. This morning we'd like to read part of that passage, and that is verses 9 through verse 12. So Psalm 119, verse 9 through verse 12, follow as, as I read. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hidden my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the privilege to look into your word again. We thank you, Lord, for the book that we hold. I thank you, Lord, that people in our church value the book. We even bring it to church like many churches don't, Lord, but we bring our Bible to church because we uh, examine the Bible, we read through the Bible, we study the Bible. And so, Lord, I thank you for your word today. But we must confess, Lord, that probably among Christians like this, there are many who do not read the Bible as they should. And so we pray that you would deal with our hearts today we might find the importance of the Word of God, and that we as God's people would read it. If there's somebody here today that's not saved, may today be the day that they realize that Jesus died for their sins, rose again the third day, wants to be their Savior, and I pray that today they would trust you. Just challenge us today to read our Bibles, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is the Word of God. Those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, saved by God's grace and therefore children of God by birth, by the new birth, should read the Bible, they should meditate upon the Bible, and we should memorize the Bible. I've often said that the Bible is the second best gift that God has given. Jesus, of course, is the first best, is the best gift. You can't improve on him. But the truth of it is, we would not know about Jesus if it was not for the Bible. He would have done all that for us on the cross of Calvary, but if it hadn't been written down in the Scripture, we would not know about it. So we could rightfully say, I believe, that the, that the Bible is the God's second best gift, Jesus being the first and the Bible being the second. The value of the Bible, the Word of God, is seen in many ways as it's described in, in its pages. The Bible is described in various ways. First of all, it's described as food or likened unto food. The Bible says in Job chapter 23, verse 12, while Job was going through all of his problems, he said this, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So the Bible, the word of God was important to him more than his necessary food. In addition to that general reference to food, the Bible is described as bread, Matthew 4, 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's also described as milk, 
1 Peter 2, 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. The Bible is also described as meat. In Hebrews 5, verse 12 and 14, it says, ye have, not, ye have need that one teach you again, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So the Bible is milk. We need that. But after you grow in the Lord, you need the meat of the, of the word, which is uh, deeper things of the word that you might not get on the surface. And so the strong meat. And it says strong meat belong to them that are of full age, who have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Bible is also described as food by the word honey. Psalm 19, verse 10 says, The word of God is sweeter than honey, yea, sweeter than the honeycomb. It's also described as water. Ephesians 5, 26, The church is sanctified and cleansed by the washing of water by the word. And so food, sustenance, is the, the Bible is likened unto that. It's also likened unto seed. You remember the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13. A sower went forth to sow. That parable is recorded in Matthew's gospel, Mark, and also Luke. And Luke, it makes clear that when it says this in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Very straightforward. The seed is the word of God. So it's likened unto seed. 1 Peter 1, 23 says, We have been born again, not, of, not of, incorru- of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, incorruptible seed by the word of God. So the word of God is seed. It's so important to us as believers that we sow the word of God, and it's like seed, and some of it takes root, and people come to know Jesus as their Savior, and that's what happened to us. It's also like an interesting picture is of a mirror. In James chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me, in James chapter 1, it's an uh, interesting passage, and it says in verse 22, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. And the word glass there means a mirror. And in those days it might be polished brass or something like that, but it's like a mirror that we use today. And so the word of God is a mirror, and you look into it. And it says, For he beholdeth himself, and he goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So the word of God is a mirror, and you look into it, and you see, well, I'm not quite right, but you say, oh, well, I don't worry about that. And you go on your way, doing what, you're, what you were doing, and don't change. But the Lord says, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So the word of God is likened unto a mirror. We see in it what we really are, and we know the changes we need to make, and by God's help, we make those changes. It's also likened unto fire and a hammer. In Jeremiah 23, 29, it says, Is not my word as a fire, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? So it's a fire that purifies, and it's a hammer that brings conviction. It breaks the rocks in pieces. And so you can think you're doing great, and you read the word of God and realize, wow, I'm not really doing so well. And it brings conviction to you, and it breaks your heart down, and brings you under conviction, and that's the word of God. The Word of God is also likened unto a lamp and a light. Psalm 119, in the past, in this psalm that we will be looking at, Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, so immediately at my feet, I need to know which step to take. It's a lamp unto my feet, and then it's a light unto my path. 
it not only shows right now, but also shows me in the future how I should live and, and the, the plans I should make. And so it's a light unto my path, like Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. And so the word of God directs our paths. It's also likened unto a sword. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Speaking of the armor of the Christian, we have the sword. Our only offensive we- offensive weapon is the sword, and that's the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so it's very sharp. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts. And it, the Bible says it, it cuts down deep so we can know what's wrong with our life and what, how we can correct that. You remember Peter was preaching, or Peter and the other apostles in chapter 5 of Acts. And it says that they threw him in jail. And the angel came and got him out. He opened the doors. And they were out on the street preaching. And uh, they, they went to inquire these guys and found the doors were shut. And the guards were still outside, but there were no prisoners inside. And so they went to find them, and they found them, and they said this, Should not we obey God rather than man? God told us to preach. Shouldn't we obey God rather than man? And then they went on to tell about how they had crucified the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And the Bible says this, And their words cut them to the heart. The word of God cut them to the heart, convicted them. Another passage is in Acts chapter 7. You remember Acts chapter 7 is Stephen. Remember I told you, S is Stephen, Acts 7, stoned. So remember that Stephen's account is in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen's preaching this great message. And he came to the end and he brought it to the conclusion. And he told them they were guilty of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says the words cut them to the heart. Cut them to the heart. It's the sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, these descriptions of what the Word of God is should cause us to realize the importance of the Word of God to us and to everyone else. We should desire to read it and value it as important as our necessary food, as Job said. So let's this morning consider some of the reasons, I think, from the Bible that we can say we should read God's Word. The title of the message is, Why Read Your Bible?, so I want to answer that tonight, today, and, and there's other, other uh, things you can say about it, I'm sure. There's a whole lot of reasons, but let me give you a few. First of all, we should read our Bible because it's God's Word and He commands us to read it. It's always a good idea to do what God tells you to do, but it's God's Word. It's not man's thoughts. It's not a collection of all these people who wrote at different times and it's their thoughts about religious things. No, it's not that. It's God's thoughts and revealed to the man and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's the con- conveying of the, wor- of the word. It wasn't dictation. God didn't just use the, the man as, you know, just a pen and he just wrote what God told him. God worked through his personality. So when you read a book, you know this is John's personality showing out. Or this is Luke. You can tell the difference. It's a different person writing. But God is conveying what he wants us to know through the word of God. And holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is a mistake that sometimes people make. 
They say the writer was inspired. The Bible never says the writer was inspired. The Bible doesn't say John was inspired or, or Paul was inspired. The Bible says the, the, the writers were moved along by the Holy Spirit and what they were, were, wrote was the breath of God. And it actually can be translated, all scripture is, is breathed by God. It's the breath of God. So as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit, God working through their personality and everything, they wrote down, and what they wrote was the breath of God. Now, what we're saying, we should read the Bible because it's the breath of God. I mean, it's God's word. It's not man. It's important. It's God's word. And so God has spoken, and we should read. But also, God commands that we do it. 1 Peter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. We should desire the word of God. Second Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. He's talking about the Bible. Study the Bible. God tells us to do that. Psalm 1 puts it in this way. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But in, but his, but in his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he, medit- and in it, he meditates day and night. So he delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night in that. God tells us that's what we're supposed to do. And then John chapter 5, Jesus himself was speaking. He said this, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So we're commanded by God. So it's God's word, and he commands that we read it. That's one reason we should read God's word. Another reason we should read God's words is because it tells us the truth about God. You see, man does not know the truth about God. You can see that when you just look at man's works and him trying to show who, who he thinks God is. You know, it might be in idolatry, all the idols they make. Or it might be in the legends they have that they tell about this God. And they'll find that these gods that man, that man comes up with are immoral, they're revengeful, they're unloving, they're competitive with other gods, so-called, and uh, they many times appear, when they make an image of them, they make an image of an animal. Man does, has no idea what God is like. So we don't get it from man's, man's wisdom of what God is like. Man doesn't know. God's creation reveals the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, Psalm 19, verse 1 says, but that's limited. Sure, we should be able to look out at creation and say, wow, God is a great God. I mean, the other night at, at uh, Jason's house in Florida, uh, he has, uh, what's it called, Fox Nation. Uh, he's a veteran. He gets that free. And they were, we were watching that, uh, that program on Yellowstone Park. And the photography was beautiful. And it was just wonderful to see all that God had made. Now, I don't know if the people who were doing it realized that God had done all this or not, but they, all the things that God has made and how beautiful it is. The heavens declare God's a glorious God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And so creation reveals something about God, but the word of God reveals all the special truths about God. And surely there's things about God we don't know, but everything God wants us to know about him, it's revealed in the Bible. Nowhere else. You see, in the Bible, we find that God is a trinity. Where do we get that from? The Bible. In the Bible, we find that God is intelligent. 
We find that God is active, that he's emotional, and that, he, that he's free to do what he wants to do, that he's self-existent. He doesn't depend on anybody. He never had a beginning, so he doesn't depend on anybody for his beginning or anything. God is self-existent. He is eternal. I mean, you can't even hardly imagine that, what that means, eternal. He always has been. He always will be. How do you find that out? It's in the Bible. The Bible tells us that. Nobody else tells us that. You also find that God is unchangeable. We find that he's omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time. We find that he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. We find that he's perfect, absolutely perfect. We find that he is incomprehensible. Where do we find this out? In the Bible. The Bible tells us about God. We find that God is holy, totally holy. Nobody like him. And he's, he's separate from everybody, and he's separate from all iniquity or anything like that. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. That means he always does what is right. He's a righteous God. He's, a tr- he's true. He's a God of love. He's a God of faithfulness. All, we find, all of this we find from the Bible. You won't find it anywhere else. So if you want to know about the God who wrote this book, guess where you find out? In the Bible. We should read the Bible because it reveals the God and who he really is. Also, we should read our Bibles because it tells us tr- a truth about ourselves. Now, the world doesn't know that. They don't know the truth about themselves. In fact, they think that we came here through evolution. And uh, they talk, they preach this evolution all, everywhere you go. You know, it's all about evolution. They have no idea about man, where he came from. He, they say that man is basically good. Have you ever heard this? That in every man there's a spark of divinity. <laughs> you know, we're basically good. No, we're not basically good. We're basically evil. <laughs> we're basically evil. They say that man is becoming more enlightened. And today it's, you know, if you're woke... <laughs> You, we're more enlightened. Oh, we know better than those old things. We know better than what people used to teach. We are enlightened. You're not enlightened. You're deceived. And the Bible is the one who tells us uh, the truth about ourselves. Man doesn't know that. Man doesn't, the world doesn't know that. The Bible tells us that God created all things and that he made the first man and the first woman and instituted marriage by a ma- between a man and a woman God clears all those things up because God tells us the truth about ourselves. God tells us the truth about mankind that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We can't get proud when we read the Bible about ourselves because the Bible says we're all undeserving. We're all, if we got what we deserve, we'd go to hell. After pastoring all the years that I have, if I got what I deserved, I wouldn't go to heaven, I'd go to hell. That's, that's what the Bible tells me about myself. And only God can make the difference. Only Jesus can change that. And so the Bible tells us the truth about ourselves. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and are separated from a holy God, and nobody can correct that except God himself. And it tells us the truth about mankind. Also, we should read the Bible because it tells us the truth about what follows after life. People have questions, you know, uh, what about afterlife? Is there an afterlife? Some people believe you, if you die, you just go, you just die, and you're just like a dog, you know, buried, and that's the end of it. You don't go anywhere. What tells you that it's different than that? God does. God tells you that. God tells you there's two places you can go. You can either go to hell, that's what you deserve, or you can go to heaven. And God tells us about that. There's, there's life after death. 
That age-old question is solved. It's resolved because the Bible tells us. We find that from the Scripture. Also, we should read our Bibles because it tells how man can be saved and go to heaven. Man has all kinds of ideas of how man can go to heaven. You know, you do certain things if you're so good, if you're better than this person, or, you know, you just you have to sort of work your way to heaven. And uh, the Bible says, no, that won't work. But the Bible tells us how to be saved. It tells us about Jesus, God's son, who came to this earth through the miraculous birth, and he came to this earth for the purpose of dying for our sins on the cross of Calvary. The Bible describes his death on the cross of Calvary, what he said and everything as he was dying for our sins. The Bible tells us that he was put in the grave, and three days later he rose from the grave. And the Bible says if we'll believe that message that what Jesus did for us and trust him as our personal Savior, call out to him in repentance of our sin, realize we need a Savior because we're sinners, and we'll trust Jesus, then we can be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Where do we find that? We find it in the Bible. It's the only place you can find it. We, can read the, we should read the Bible because it tells us how we can be saved. Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believes in the righteousness and, and with a mouth confession is made into salvation. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You won't read that in any other world, any, any world of books. You read it in the Bible. Maybe that's the reason the Bible is the all-time bestseller of, of all time <laughs> and still is because the Bible is a unique book. We should read it because it has for us what we need to know about how we can be saved and go to heaven and not go to hell. In fact, the Bible describes the blessings of salvation. You won't find that anywhere else. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about justification. It talks about adoption. It talks about sanctification, eternal life home in heaven, all those things, and the promise of a new body, all those things. The Bible tells us that. No other book has that. It's only in the Scriptures. We should read it because it tells man how to be saved. And you say, well, I already know I'm saved. Well, you read it, and you can understand how you can explain it to someone else. You see, you need the Bible. We should read our Bibles. Also, we should read our Bibles because it tells us how to live. How to live. You see, it tells us what's wrong. Today, you'd never know what's wrong. I mean, today, they call good evil and evil good. And you'd never know from today's thoughts uh, what's wrong. But the Bible tells us what's wrong. The Bible tells us that we are to have no other God before him. There's one God and only one, and we're to worship him. The Bible tells us that we're not to have any idolatry. We're not to make any likeness of the Lord and try and to, you know, adore that and worship that. We're not to do that. God says, I don't want any, any idols whatsoever. And so you worship God without any idols, and idols are wrong. God tells us that. God says you shouldn't take God's name in vain. People today take, take it lightly. They curse God. They try to act like they're stronger by cursing God. It doesn't make them stronger. It makes them weaker. And so, but they curse God. Oh, how do we know we're not supposed to do that? Because God tells us not to, and it's found in the Scripture. God tells you that you're not to lie. You're not to lie. You're not to tell a lie. 
How do we know that? God tells us that. Some politicians should really read the Bible, shouldn't they? They should read it to understand it and and to obey it. Of course, they won't unless they're saved. But uh, God says lying is wrong. And by the way, it's wrong for us too. Stretching the truth, deceiving people, making them think something's true when it's not, that's all a lie. God says we're to live the truth. God says that there's no stealing. We're not to steal. Where do you find that? In the Bible. You know, it's, it's something that's recognized in all societies. Probably it's wrong to steal. But where did it all begin? Where was it showed by God? It's in the Scripture. The Scripture says no stealing. The Bible says no adultery and no fornication and no homosexuality. It's all sin. God tells us that black and white. It's in the Word of God. The world says, oh, no, we know better today. But God says, no, you don't. The Word of God tells you what's right and what is wrong. The Bible says no coveting other possessions. The Bible says no coveting other's wife or husband. The Bible says no murder. The Bible says no dishonoring of parents, no bitterness, no evil speaking, no envy, no malice, no gossip, and uh, you could go on and on. The Bible says those things are wrong. And so the Bible tells us what is right and what is wrong. You see, it tells us not only what's wrong, but right. The Bible tells you that we are to love. In fact, the scripture says, uh, there, there abideth faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Do you ever wonder why that's true? Well, when you get to heaven, you won't need faith. It's all, it's, it's all sight. When you need to get to heaven, you won't need hope because you already got it. But you will love. You'll love everybody there, and God continues to love you, and the greatest of these is love. What tells us that? The Bible it's not man's type of love. It's not lust. It's not a, a fornication, adultery, all that. No, it's true love. The Bible tells us it's right to be kind. It's right to be gentle, tender-hearted, sweet reasonableness. The Scripture says in Philippians 4, let your moderation, that means sweet reasonableness, be known to all men. The Bible says we're to forgive and we're to be meek, and we're to be temperate and self-controlled, and we're to be peaceful, and we're to be long-suffering, and we're to exercise grace toward one another. We're to live righteous lives. We're to do what's right. We're to live a life of faith. We're to believe God. We're to read our Bible. We're to pray. We're to witness. We're to look for Jesus. All those things of doing right are told to us in the Word of God. So if you say, I want to do what's right, then you're saying, I need to read my Bible because the Bible tells me what is right. Also, it tells us how to do what's right. Now, let's look back in Psalm 119, and we're going to pick out some verses there, but it tells us how to do what's right. How, how are we to do what we know is right to do? Well, first of all, you need to trust God, believe Him. You need to yield to the Holy Spirit who dwells you as a Christian, because He's working with you to get you to do what is right. And then you need to obey God's word. Now let's look at some of the things that's told us in, in Psalm 119. Look at verse, verse 9. Wherewithal shall young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In other words, God tells us, what we shouldn't do, God tells us what we should do, and now he's telling us what, how we can do it. And how can we do it? Well, it's all related to the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Look at Psalm, or verse number 105. 
105. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How do I know what decision to make? How do I know what I should do in the future? The word of God gives you direction. Verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Love the Lord's word and you'll do what's right. Number 128, verse number 128. Therefore I esteem all precepts concerning all things to be right. All thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. So how are you going to do what's right? Well, you, you determine that everything God says is right. And then you hate every false way. Now if you'll do that, you'll start living right because it's all related to God's word. Look at verse 130. The of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. So how am I going to do what's right? Read God's word and obey what God says. That's how we do what's right. Also, we should read the Bible because it enables us to talk of God's wondrous works. Psalm 119, verse 27 says this, Make me understand the the way of thy precepts, so shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Make me understand the way of thy precepts, you know, your writings, Lord, your, your, your scripture. Let me understand that so I can talk of all thy wondrous works. When we know God's word, we can talk about his wondrous works. You see, if you know God's word, you can talk about creation. People say, we got here by evolution. You can say, no, I've read the book. I know the one who who, who made everything wrote this book, and I've read the book. I know about creation. And if you want to know details, you study the creation account, and you can tell them. Also, God's wondrous works, what about the worldwide flood? They... Try to explain all these things and all the fossils. Do you have an answer? I've told you before, I believe. I remember when I was in college, my first two years of college in North Carolina. I had a professor, and I think I was taking uh, zoology or botany at that time. I can't remember which one it was. We took a field trip to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we were on top of this mountain. And we were walking around, and I saw seashells on the top of the mountain. And I asked him, I said, how did these get here? He didn't know. He didn't have an explanation. I knew. (laughs) I knew. I know about the worldwide flood. I know how fossils were deposited because of the worldwide flood. You see, you don't get fossils by an animal laying out there just decaying. You get fossils when one is, you know, full form. Maybe it just died, but it's, it's there, and it's buried immediately under a lot of pressure, and that forms a fossil. How'd that happen? Well, worldwide flood. You can know of God's wondrous works if you read the Bible. What about the Tower of Babel? Isn't it interesting that this, uh, this uh, program they have, and they advertise it all the time to learn languages, is called what? Babel? <laughs> where where they got that from? <laughs> That's where the languages came from. If you know the story of the Tower of Babel, then you can, you can talk about that, God's wondrous works. You can talk about his purpose for Israel. Why is is Israel so special? Well, the Bible tells us God made that special people. And from that special people, he brought the word of God. Most of the word of God is from the Jew. And also, he brought to us the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Sure, Israel has a purpose. You can talk about his wonderful works of his exodus from, of, of the e- exodus from Egypt, how God dr- led those people out and performed all those miracles, about the crossing of the Red Sea. And you can talk with confidence about how God opened up the waters and, and the Israelites went through and then he drowned the Egyptians when they tried to follow them. God's wondrous works. You can talk about the battle of Jericho, how they walked around the walls, marched around the walls. On the seventh day, they marched seven times and the walls fell after they shouted. God did that. You can talk about how David killed Goliath. God's wondrous works. You can talk about Gideon's victory with 300 men as opposed to all those who were against him. You can talk about Elijah on Mount Carmel and how he prayed and the fire came down from heaven. You can talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown in the fiery furnace and God delivered them without any smell of smoke and the only thing that burned up was the cords that bound them. You can tell that with confidence because it's in God's word. The Bible says we'll talk of his wondrous works. We can talk of his wondrous works when we know the scripture. You can talk about Daniel in the lion's den, how God spared him from the lions. And then after he spared him, they threw in the people that accused him and the lions ate them all up. You can talk about Jonah and the whale, how God delivered Jonah and the whale swallowed him. And then then, uh, uh, later he vomited him up on dry ground. Nobody likes a backslidden preacher, even a a fish, you know. So he vomited him up on, on dry ground. And then he went on to do what God wanted him to do. And you can talk about Jonah. You can talk about Jesus' miraculous birth, how he's born of a virgin. You can talk about Jesus' feeding of the 5,000, Jesus healing the sick, and Jesus raising the dead, the dead, and Jesus dying for our sins, and Jesus rising from the grave. Where do we find all that? In the Bible. And if you know the Bible, you can talk of all his wondrous works. You can talk about him ascending up into heaven. And then personally, you can talk about him saving you. You know Jesus as your Savior, you can talk about him saving you. And you can give scripture and verse that you believed when God saved you by his grace. You can talk of God's wondrous works if you read your Bible and know what it says. Also, we should read our Bible because it reveals to us wondrous things about the future. Psalm 119 verse 18 says this, Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now let's just talk about the future things that are wondrous. You see, we as God, as Bible-believing Christians know about the rapture of the church. The world hears about those things, but they don't understand it. But you do, or you should, because you read the Bible. And you can tell them there's coming a time when Jesus has come back and the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to all be caught up together with him and the dead are going to rise first and we're going to be caught up and we're going to be changed. We're going to have brand new bodies. And they tell about that. Why? Because it's in the Bible and you read the Bible and you know the Bible and you can tell of of these wondrous things, these wondrous things he has in store. You can tell about the judgment seat of Christ, that after that we're going to stand as Christians before the judgment seat of Christ. Not the great white throne, but the judgment seat of Christ for Christians. You can talk about that tribulation period that's going to go on through on this earth, uh, seven years and, and three sets of, of, of judgments, the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, the vile judgments, or bold judgments, and how God's going to, going to bring judgment upon this earth. But then at the end, 
Jesus is going to come back and he's going to destroy all of his enemies, he's going to set up his kingdom, and the best time of this earth is yet to come, and all these environmentalists who say we're going to destroy the earth, they're not right because the Bible is right, and God says he's going to bring, bring, lift the curse, and the earth is going to blossom and bloom, and he's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years from, from Jerusalem as the king of the earth. <laughs> How do we know that? The Bible tells us that. And you can talk of these wondrous things. You can talk about the new heaven and the earth that God's going to make after he destroys this present one. And then that new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of heaven with the golden streets and gates of pearl and walls of jasper and all that thing and the river running from the throne and all these wonderful things you know about, you can talk about because you've read the word of God. And we should read the word of God because God tells us of these wondrous things. Also, we should read God's word because it equips us to have more or above average understanding and wisdom. I want you to read this with me. Psalm 119, verse 97. Um, this encourage anybody. It says this, Oh, how I, I love I thy law. It is my medita- meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments has made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. You see, you always have enemies. (laughs) They're ever with me. But you can be wiser than your enemies. You can have somebody that has four or five degrees behind their name, but they don't know Jesus, and you can stand there as a simple Christian, and you can talk to them and think, (laughs) you know, they know a lot of things, but in lots of ways I'm wiser than they are. (laughs) I know I'm going to heaven. I know the King of Kings. The God of the universe is my personal friend. Talk about dropping names. <laughs> I know him. And so you can be wiser than your enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. A student can go to college, and if you go to a college where there's ungodly professors and they're trying to instruct you the wrong way, you don't have to be intimidated. You can stand there knowing that I have more understanding than you do. You might not want to tell them that, but you know it's true because you know God and you know his word. And you can look at the very words of God, much greater than the words of that professor, and you can say with confidence, I understand more than my teachers. Verse 100, I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. See, see, all of this is tied to the word of God. How can you be wiser? How can you have more understanding if you know the word of God? I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So we should read the word of God because it equips us to have above average understanding and wisdom. And then also, we should read the Word of God because it equips us to be effective witness for Jesus. I find this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 17. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. And then verse 17 says, That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We read the Bible so we'll be thoroughly furnished or equipped to all good works. Part of those good works are witnessing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, 
and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. How are you going to know how to give an answer if you don't know the Bible? So read the Bible because somebody's going to ask you someday. Somebody you're going to have to give an answer why, why you think this is so special. Why do you think being a Christian is so special? And you'll need an answer, and you will know the answer if you've read your Bible. And then finally, I want to give one more thing. We should read our Bibles because Satan is our, enemies, is our enemy, and he does not want us to read the Bible. You see, we start it because it's God's Word. He wants us to read it. And the last point is we should read it because Satan doesn't want us to. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, that our adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to devour you. You see, he hates God's word. It starts from the very beginning when you first heard the word of God. He did not want you to hear it. That's made clear in the, in the parable of the sower. It says in Luke 8, verse 12, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The devil hates the word of God because it's by the word of God that people are saved. And we should want to read God's word because Satan hates God's word. We love our Savior. It's his word. It's his book. And we should want to read it because the devil hates it. And if it had been up to the devil, we would have never trusted the Lord as our Savior. He would have loved to stolen that seed out of our hearts so we would not believe. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, talks about the armor of God. It says, we fight the devil with God's word. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle against the, de- the devil. How do we wrestle? Well, we put on the breastplate of righteousness. We have the shield of faith. All this is associated with the word of God. The helmet of salvation. And the, and, the, and the gospel shoes, the gospel shoes of the gospel of peace. Then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We fight the devil with the word, so we surely need the word. We should want to read God's word because the devil does not want us to. We've seen many, many things this morning that are special about the Bible, this book. We've given 11 reasons why we should read it. But the question is, do we read it? Do we read it? We all feel a need to eat every day. But do we also feel a need to read the Bible? We should want to know what God says. We should want to obey what God tells us. And we should want to tell others of the Savior revealed in these pages of this book. So today I ask you, ask myself, all of us, do we read God's word? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us of the importance of your word. And I pray, Lord, that we might all decide anew and afresh that we're going to read your word. Lord, forgive us for the times we've failed. And I just pray that you'd make us faithful in reading your word. Work in our midst today. If there's anyone who's not saved, may today be the day of their salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.